0: Hello and welcome to the Batflip Crazy Podcast, where you'll always find enthusiastic, data-driven fantasy baseball analysis and strategy. I am your host, Toby. Today is episode 140 of our podcast and 44 of Bubba and the Batflip. Bubba and I take a peek at the starting pitcher and relief pitchers, doing a little bit of our uh, starting pitcher, relief pitcher Preview, review. I can never remember whether it's review, preview, or preview, review, but preview, review. Uh, We did do starting pitchers and relief pitchers on separate episodes a little while back, so we go in-depth on a lot of the players there. This is more a discussion on kind of strategy overall with starting pitchers and relief pitchers and some of the things we've been seeing in drafts. Uh, We then uh, take a look at uh, just a little bit of a review of of, uh, some of the drafts that I've had recently. Um, take some listener questions and then we do some waiver wire looking back at the week that was as well as a little bit about looking forward. So hope you enjoy the episode. The season is right around the corner. Uh, Thursday game start. i'm I am getting more and more excited um, as things move. Uh, one little note is that we are doing these we are streaming the podcast live now. So you know during the podcast uh, we may say some things that kind of sound like we're on video because we are on video as well. so uh, please, Uh, accept my apologies for that. Anyways, if you do enjoy the podcast, please do give it a five-star rating and review on iTunes. Uh, always appreciate that, especially those reviews. It's always great to hear from listeners. You can reach me on Twitter at BatFlipCrazy. You can reach Bub on Twitter at BDNTrek. All right, let's get this party started.
1: Bubba, how you doing, man? uh, Everybody,
0: this is uh, Bubba in the Batflip episode 44, by the way. But
1: uh, how you doing, Toby?
0: Uh, I'm doing great, Bubba. Um, I'm really starting to get excited about the season, you know? I mean, there's obviously been so much happening, so much more important stuff, but we love fantasy baseball. um, And it's just like now we're getting those player updates. Like I'm watching how guys are doing in their last start before the season starts. You're seeing those gifts rolling out, you know? You're like Vince Velasquez. could this be the year again? you know, all that, uh, all that stuff. So it's very exciting, but less important than that. How are you doing? This is the first Bubba and the Bat Flip since you became a father. So how is podcasting different as a dad?
1: Um, like, what's the little-
0: difference that you are experiencing right now?
1: Other than I'm a little, I'm a little drowsy, drowsy, right. a little drowsy. Um, so I didn't get as much time to uh, get. Like I told you, I got the outline put together about twenty minutes maybe before we got going. I knew what I wanted to do. I texted you. I'm like, "This is the idea." I just haven't got to the outline yet. Um, things along those but lines. But yeah, just weird. kidding.
0: I mean, he had the outline. This is a professional <laughs> primetime show. Yes. Bubba had the outline ready before the baby was born in preparation <laughs> for this experience. So um, no, but that's 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 uh, that's that sounds fairly typical of uh, of dad life.
1: Yeah, but it's fun. I wouldn't trade it for the world. It's been pretty darn awesome. So uh, we'll keep pumping these out. You know, there might be a couple of weeks here and there where it just doesn't work out in the schedule. But uh, we're going to bang these out where, where it feels uh, necessary and we can squeeze them in. But I do want to mention, it has been fun watching people like yourselves and others because, like you said, there's more important things to worry about out there right now. And um, I see the excitement. Like I, when you were doing your drafts, and like you're excited and other guys are excited, it gets it's cool to see kind of that uh fantasy baseball like twitterverse starting to actually get going instead of you know there was a lot of negativity and it wasn't like it was wrong negativity there's a lot of reasons to be negative before but it's like now everyone's kind of getting that vibe you know the test results are coming back that they're kind of making this work for now we'll see how it goes when they travel but so far so good and you mentioned getting to watch the uh, gifts and everything it's like my third straight night where i've had games on tv like the the, the yankees phillies game just stated you mentioned VDV. v he looked good. Looked good. Maybe. Yeah. So um, it's, uh, it's fun. It's fun. We're just a few days away from it. So let's get at it. We, we left off. We need starting pitchers, relief pitchers, 60 games uh, strategy. We'll go quickly there since everyone's drafting. Now we're going to redo some draft takeaways. Toby's been busy in the main event, some online and whatnot. So we'll talk a little bit there. We'll recap the, the craziness that was week one fab for especially TGFBI. And then the listener question as always. So Toby, Starting with starting pitching, Uh, you know, there's been a lot of theories. You've already been a pocket ace guy. I showed you. I did a draft the other day. I think I took three starting pitchers in the first four rounds in a 15-teamer. I really took a – and it worked. Your strategy worked phenomenally. Are you changing anything uh, on a shorter season? Are you being more aggressive on starting pitching? Are you just kind of staying the same? What's your route there?
0: Yeah, I mean, I think generally I'm actually more aggressive. I mean, the pocket aces is pretty standard for me. It's not something I'm going to go with 100% of the time, but um, I've articulated on this show and others like why exactly I do that. So I won't get into the boring details. But um, I actually, in one of my two main event drafts, did go with three starting pitchers in the first four picks, which is not traditionally something that's a part of my strategy. But I really feel like the biggest question mark for me is volume. You know, like that's where I have the most concerns because when it comes to volume, you're talking about wins, you're talking about Ks, and then you're also talking about ratios, right? Because the more volume of good ratios you can put together, um, you know, the more solid of a foundation and the more, not necessarily wiggle room you have, but the more variance your team can kind of hold, right? And so variance is going to happen whether we like it or not. It's not a reflection of skill. It's just a reflection of the shorter season. And so I want those high volume, really good starting pitchers to really anchor my team more so than usual here. And I also think that the research that Phil Dussault did kind of highlighting how there is more variance in hitter performance over a shorter period of time. Like I haven't seen that replicated, but I trust Phil's work and he does great job. He's a great fantasy player. And it really, um, and it also intuitively feels pretty good because you know, I feel like pitchers in general control more than hitters, you know, um, and, and with with the hitters, I feel like hitters oftentimes during a season, they'll go on one of those runs where over a month, month and a half, they're just like unconscious. And a lot of their stats can come from that, whereas they're piecing it together, or it may be a little bit more uh, dependent on the schedule, you know, versus versus pitchers. And so I feel a lot better about streaming hitters and streaming hitting situations that I do about pitchers. And so for that reason, I am really going pretty strong on starting pitching early on, at least the pocket aces. But I also have like a limit of where I kind of draw the line where I'm like, uh, you know, these guys are, I don't know if they're that much better than the guys that are a little bit behind them. And that's where I start really going hard on hit on hitting.
1: Now I'm glad you mentioned that. Cause that's what I, that's the reason why the other night I, I, I went with three starters out the gate is I've wanted to be, I wanted more of a stable starting core, like you're saying. I really think this season I want those innings. That's why I've been a major pro Kershaw guy, even though it's been kind of, you know, I get it. I, many people have listened in the past years. He scares me with his back issue, but on a shortened season like this, where he can come out the gate, be firing right away, those first couple starts are huge. That's why, like, I posed the DeGrom question last week and it's been met with some interesting responses. But if his back's messed up and he can't, you know, go deep into the first outing or so, are you going to move him out? And we saw he didn't go out of the first round, but we saw him go like 14th in a main. He went 11th in an OC. He was 15th to a, me in a main. He went fifth to you. There yeah, you go. Yeah. I
0: took him fifth. I took him five. Yeah.
1: Yeah, I, I took him. I, I think it was eighth was where I was drafting. I said, "Screw it, I'm going to roll the dice and we're going to go because um, he, he the results came back good. I know back problems are scary, but this is a guy that you know if he if he is okay, you know how it goes. Like DeGrom's a beast. They are moving – some people move like, Verlander ahead of them and Scherzer and stuff, and I'm like, I'd rather take the the, the DeGrom gamble there. But it goes back to the story of I, I want stable guys. Give me a, a handful. And then the part you mentioned that I really started to buy into, and we mentioned a lot of this show, is you need to know the player pool. It's, like, super important to know your player pool. So when we're drafting and you got those guys, then you hit that certain level, like you're saying, of starting pitchers. There's a bunch of, like, maybe later round targets that aren't that far off. So you can go for the bats. That's what you're hinting at there. And I think that's very true. And that's kind of what I saw myself doing. That's what you do a lot. And it made me more confident in kind of changing my game plan and doing different things. Because there are a lot of guys that you might get, you know, four or five rounds later that are they really that different, especially in a shortened season from these guys. So it's, it's very, very good, uh, good points you made there. So I think we're on the same page on being even more aggressive. Because before the 60 games, I was willing to get like one or two of like the top 20 or so, and then kind of piece it together where you were like steadfast on your pocket aces and everything, now I'm much more on board
0: with uh, your strategy for sure. I'm like a rock, Bubba. That's (laughs) how the way I like to think of myself is just a steadfast, a rock, solid. I don't like to think of it as like an orthodoxy that I have where like, I'm totally inflexible and rigid. I (laughs) I like that, uh, the steadfast description for sure. Um, But but I think that point you make is key. And that's one of the things that like, Uh, Ariel Cohen's article that he wrote like the case for an ace. I think it was a lot of people focus on the ace and I focus on the ace part of it. But what he also said is there is just, there's uh, diminishing returns as you get further back in those starting pitchers where there isn't that much of a difference. And so if you do want to make a difference, we convince ourselves that we're good at really good drafters and we get it right all the time, but there's so much that factors in. And like you mentioned, the variance is going to be even greater. There's going to be less control that they have over the outcomes than they usually do. So um, yeah, I think that, that point you, you highlighted is, is key.
1: Um, so I mentioned like Kershaw's a guy I'm bumping up, you know, we could go through the whole list and we'd be here all night. Cause the starting pitchers so deep, are there any guys that are, that maybe you weren't as high on in a full season that maybe kind of, you know, up the ante for you a little bit in, in this like stretch? Like I, I mentioned Kershaw, I got like Granky, as boring as he is. I know he's going to eat up innings. So it's interesting there. I'm not like pushing him up, but if it, if it comes down to him versus like a, a kind of riskier pick, I'm going Granky where he might not have in a full season. What are some guys that maybe stand out to to maybe make a move for you?
0: Well, I think Madison Bar- Bumgarner for sure.
1: Oh no, 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 I'm just kidding.
0: Not Madison Bumgarner. No, I'm actually right there with you. I think two guys that I that I wasn't as into before. I think that I've kind of had an opinion change on. Number one is Grankey. Um, I think that that is. I think Granky, like you mentioned, like the volume is key. The ratios are always consistently low, which I think is so important. I mean, that's one of the keys about the aces too, is that like you have two ratio categories in pitching versus the one in hitting, right? Mm-hmm. And it's, and so I really want those to be good. And I think Granke does that. In addition to that, wins are going to be so key and Granky is in, in, a, in a position, right? You can't bank on the wins, but he's in a position where if he pitches like he normally does he should win a good amount of games. And especially as like my number two, maybe even number three starting pitcher, like he, I think that's a, he's a, a re, he's, he's phenomenal place to be. I think the other guy that I've changed my tune on a little bit, and I think I have to give kudos to uh, like my first main uh, draft partner is my buddy, Andrew Matney. And he's a, he, he lives in San Diego. He's a Paddock fan. I've never been a Paddock fan really, but you know, he he's a, into Paddock and I actually drafted Paddock in, in, um, in my main as my third starting pitcher. And I see him as kind of the last guy in the guys that I feel comfortable drafting as a quote unquote ace. Um, And the thing is I dug into him, the projections like him, you know, generally speaking, the ratios are low, which I think is key. He's not going to walk a lot of guys. So even if he gets in trouble with batted ball quality, um, you know, he's not going to have as many issues. And then when I saw the Padres schedule and how it lays out for him, you know, I think in his first four starts, he's got um, he's got the uh, Diamondbacks at home. He's got the uh, Rockies at home, and then I think he's got a tough matchup after that, maybe Houston or something like that. And then I think his fourth start should be against the Giants, something like that. And so when I see that, that is that's a big deal for me. I know it's ridiculous to be like, oh, you're looking at the schedule. Things can change, and things can change, but certainly as a tiebreaker and something you want to consider. Um, I think that's, I think that that's, um, that's massive. And so, you know, yes, he could be, he could take a step back from last year, get a little bit less luck in his Babbitt, you know, um, and maybe some other pieces, but he could also take that step forward with the new curveball. And that I think is what's helpful about getting different opinions, you know, from either you or other people is just kind of reassessing where you are on guys and making sure that you haven't like last year I was anti-paddock. And so it's like, you have that bias in you. And you don't want to you don't want to keep it there. You want to be able to kind of take a fresh fresh look at it. So those are the two guys I think who have changed pretty dramatically for me. Um, you know, because of the shortened season and just the way that I see drafts falling.
1: I think that's a good point you make there too. Is a lot of people, analysts, players, the works, will have a bias if something doesn't go our way the season before or whatnot. You have to be willing to have that conversation. Doesn't mean you have to change your mind. But have a civil conversation because maybe there's something you're missing. There's so many smart people out there, smart ways to look at things now. That's why I, you, I love doing the show with you because you take things in a deep dive where I kind of you know do it a different angle and then we play off each other that way. There's a lot of a uh, lot of ways different analysts can talk to each other and figure things out. So i I've been anti Paddock forever. Maybe I need to listen to your your friend explain Paddock to me because I'm still nervous. I I've always said if I can see the curveball be effective as a third pitch, I will buy into Chris Paddock. I just need to see it and instead of just buy in. So maybe he sold you on something along those lines, and I can see that. So I'm not as anti as before. I'm still not on him this year. But uh, similar with other players, the same, same scenarios in that regard. Um, when we're talking relief pitchers now, and this is a fun one because this is a conversation that's all over the board. Where do you stand on relief pitchers on a 60-game season?
0: Yeah, um, relief pitching is super interesting right now. Because I think it might have been, um, I can't remember who it was. It might have been Jeff Erickson who mentioned, I think he had a tweet that said something like, you know, before the season started, relief pitchers were going way too late. Like early on in the off season because of kind of a reaction, maybe to Edwin Diaz and Blake Trinan struggling last year. Um, And then it was, um, uh, you know, and now we're just like, they've hopped up so much. And I think my struggle is for a little while, I bought into it. You know, I was like, you, you know, uh, you want to get one of those really good closers. You want to feel comfortable. You want to feel safe. You want to feel like you're not taking any risks, but it's like, especially in a 15 teamer, you're going to have weaknesses. And so the question is, you know, if you believe strongly that, that you need a lot of starting pitchers and you also believe strongly that, um, you know, in depth and hitting. And you also believe that you have to be safe in closing. You can't do all those things. And so you got to figure out where you're going to be weak and where you feel most comfortable being weak. And the more I think about it, relievers this year are going to get 25 innings, 30 innings at max, right? Over that period of time, anything can happen, no, no matter how good you are, right? We've all seen that take place with guys. You have that one four earned run blow up, right? you know, in in today's game, like you have that four run blow up, right? And there's no way you can get back under one a 1.0 ERA for the rest of the season, right? And so the way that I think about it is, look, I'm going to invest in, um, I'm going to invest in starting pitching. And I want to be as safe as I can with closers, because they're important, especially in overalls, you can't punt them. Like, I think that's a different story in a standalone league, I feel much more comfortable maybe waiting a little longer. But like, I, what I'm going to do is I'm going to, I'm going to do what I've always done, which is I'm going to get guys who are going later who have a solid grasp on the job, whose skills are decent, you know, cause you're not going to get the elite skills and I'm going to target those guys. So I'm going to go after Mark Melanson. I'm going to go after um, Alex Colomay. I'm even going to go after maybe a Craig Kimbrell. I'm going to go after those guys, at least in NFBC that are going around, Pick one, fifteen to one thirty as my closer one, and then I'm gonna feast on like Brandon Kinsler and Wade Davis and these guys who, yeah, like the same thing is true, right? They can have that blow up, they can give up four and runs at any point in time. But when I look at them, like I look at Colum A for instance, Colum A, he wasn't great last year. Did he get lucky? Yeah. But then I look at his portfolio over the last five years. He's never had a bad ERA. Never really had a bad whip. And so he makes it work somehow. And it could be that this is the year that it collapses, but he's got a track record. Kinsler, look at Kinsler. Kinsler has been really good every single year, except for 2018. And even then he had like a 415 ERA. His whip is always decent. He's not going to get you the Ks, but you're not buying him for the Ks. You're buying him for the saves, right? And so it's like, that's that's why I'm buying closers. You know, I'm buying closers for the saves and I'm going to, uh, I see your boy Hansel Robles. I wish I could say Hansel Robles. Hansel Robles went pick 95 in my main event last year. Ooh, if I have to decide yeah. between drafting Hansel Robles and Eddie Rosario, Hansel Robles and Josh Donaldson, yeah, Hansel Robles and Carlos Carrasco, Hansel Robles and Lance Lynn, Marcelo Zuna, Those are all guys I'm going to go, I'm going to take, I'm going to take them over Hansel Robles every time. And so for me, it's just gotten to the point where I'm, I'm, I love it because people are spending these high picks on closers because they want it to be safe. Is it safer? Yes, but there's going to be more variants this season than any season. It's going to be a really small sample size. I'm going to hope, you know, that my guys pitch to where they've been throughout their careers. You know, if Alex Colomay gets me a three, five ERA, if Melanson gets me a three, five ERA, if Kinsler gets me a four ERA, and it comes along with nine to ten saves. It's totally fine with me. So that's kind of how I'm approaching it. I'm really happy they're moving up. I've decided not to play in that space, um, and that's where I'm going to be weak, and that's where I'm going to have to work it. And that's also what I'm incorporating in my draft strategy. Like half of my picks late, like after I'm filled, like are all potential relievers. Like last, yeah, last night I drafted Kniebel. I drafted Birdie, I drafted Crick. I drafted Kinsler. I drafted maybe one other guy who's just like a really good reliever who maybe will get saves, and that's how I'm going to approach it.
1: Uh, And that's kind of the theory I've had. You, You go one of two ways, but you stay firm in the two ways. You either get some big guys early and like double up on them, so you lock in, knock on wood, two strong, strong guys. Like that's what you want. I'm not going for like the haters and the Yates. They're going too high now, like you mentioned. Um, even Liam Hendricks is kind of going too high for my blood, but go and give me like a Kenley Jansen. I know he's going higher than, than you'd like, but like a Kenley, a, um, Roberto Azuna when he was healthy was nice, but like a Kenley, then you can back it up with, you know, some of these other guys that you mentioned <clears throat> a second ago with, um, and, and the likes. I, I have no problem with that. Getting a couple of those, maybe even taking some options later in the draft. I'm cool with that. Cause I, I'm trying to leave with like three or four options by the time things are said and done, because if anything, if you're not in love with the starters, especially early in the year, throw the relievers out there. Let them get the ratios and, and that kind of stuff early and enjoy those for the first few weeks. Uh, I, I, I might have five relievers in my my TGFBI roster the first week. It's just going to be the way it works and, and go from there. Otherwise, like you mentioned, if you're not going to go for the big boys, just load up late. I have no problem with that at all. Tyler Rogers, Tony Watsons, Birdies, Cricks, all these guys like uh, Daniel Hudson I love. I think he's still going to get a a, hand, a handful of stuff with Doolittle back there in Washington Kind of those committee situations where you can still see a guy running into like five or six saves, which is going to be tremendous on a season like this, and still get you the ratios and everything. I think there's a lot to like there. Um, so it, you go one of two ways. I don't think it's a good idea to just take like one big guy and then kind of spread it out. I think you want a little bit of both, and that's the the way I I, I kind of want to approach it. And lately, I've been going with the the two kind of ace closers scenario. But as they keep coming up, it's harder and harder for me because, like you mentioned. If you, if you look at where those guys are going, it's hard to either get your third starter or you're getting some big bats because you took starters early and you don't want to keep passing up on the big bats. It's getting into a tough, tough situation uh, to go about it. So I'm with you there 100%. Um, we asked, are you, uh, are you interested in the Chapman discount right now? Because if you look at uh, NFBC ADPs for the mains, that uh, Chapman's down to pick 84 right now.
0: Yeah, I'm probably not getting him there. If he fell to me like around pick 100, I think I'd probably be in at that point in time. There's a lot of really good hitters at 85. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of really good guys. And especially going ace heavy early on, like two or three aces in the first two aces in the first two picks generally. And then like three maybe in the first four, depending on where I am in, in the draft. Um, I, it's just really hard for me to, to not grab a hitter right there. But I can definitely see it. And I would rather do that, you know, especially with news that he's like already working out and that like, he's just kind of waiting for those two negative tests to come through. Um, I would feel better about that than grabbing one of the guys who's going like picks 55 to mm-hmm. 75, you know, like I, I definitely would, would, uh, would would prefer that uh, I think approach. And then, you know, trying to get like a Britain or whoever to backfill it with a later pick, you know, that feels a little bit, um, that feels a little bit uh, better, I think, um, than the other way around. And I do agree, like, I think if you do go early with a really good closer, I can see putting them together like that. I mean, it's obviously cost you more draft capital, but when you have two really good closers, high-skilled closers together, the chances of them being Mm god-awful, you know, together is a lot lower Mm -hmm. because you're you're essentially bringing it to that 65-inning threshold that you would normally expect from a reliever. And so I could see where that could be a strategy as opposed to that second ace or something like that. Um, most definitely, um, and there and there's so many different ways to win. I mean, I mentioned Phil earlier; like he had a team, you know, that had uh, I think three closers and two starting pitchers in his first seven picks, yeah. you know, something like that, or, or six out of the first eight. And the thing is, you can win any way, you know, and it's just a matter of like how you build that team out. And whether what you're able to do in that back end of the draft too, especially with the variance that we're going to see this year,
1: yeah, especially with uh, like you said, the you just the variance. There's going to be so many different ways to attack the draft to win your league this year. It's not the st- like There's never a standard in baseball. It's always crazy in baseball. But in a, in a full season, you can kind of gauge the scenario and get somewhere close to what's going on. But uh, yeah, you can get wild here, and that's why. Are you a guy t- talking relievers now? And I'll bring it up now. I know. There's a listener question, kind of on this. We can hit on it again later. Are you strictly going for guys that are in save situations? Are you Are you looking to grab like the Lugos, the Pomerans, the Pagans, the guys that are get you good ratios and strikeouts? Maybe run into some saves and wins because that's been a big topic, also. Where I, I can see the appeal to it, but you're you're not completely punting a category, but you almost are.
0: Yeah, uh, they've, they've got to be somewhat of a save situation. I think week one is is different. You mentioned this, like one thing is you're not going to have all your starting pitchers going in week one. So you really got to be thoughtful and it's kind of too late right now, but like, you really got to be thoughtful to make sure that you have relievers to plug in, in that place. So you have nine pitchers going theoretically, especially if you're in, in an N F C league or like a weekly lineup setting, like you just got to make sure that you do that. And so it all depends on the league context. Like, you know, in daily leagues, those types of relievers are really, really valuable, but in like an NFBC league, I'm always going after guys that I think might have a shot. Right, who who I'm just kind of wasting, not wasting a pick, but I'm going maybe they have a 10% shot at the job. Probably aren't gonna get it. But if I'm spending my 380th pick on that, so like a good example would be Andrew Miller. Like everybody's saying Helsley's got the job or Gallegos is gonna come back and get the job. 90% chance that's true, right? But Andrew Miller already has a big contract. He's a lefty. So let's say they come into a situation first week of the season where there's three lefties in a row or there's two lefties in a row. Who am I to say that they're not going to go to Andrew Miller in that particular instance, right? He's been dominant before. So like I drafted him in one situation. Um, I drafted a guy named Jonathan Hernandez, right? Who is uh, LeClerc's backup, right? The manager has already said that LeClerc, you know, we're not sure what the role is. We may just want to put him in a high leverage situation. Montero's injured. Martin's injured, has COVID. Hernandez has had a really good summer and spring training. And so why not just throw him out there and, you know, pick him up he should get you good re- ratios theoretically. And if he gets to save that first week, then fine. Um, so that's kind of how I'm approaching it. It really depends. A guy like Nick Birdie is really interesting to me because I think he's got the stuff where he could be like, nobody's a Josh hater, but he's got like Josh hater, like stuff in terms of like strikeout potential, hundred plus mile per hour stuff, nasty slider last year. I think his swinging strike weight was at like 17% or something like that. So just like some not twenty two percent like haters is or whatever it is, but like really filthy and getting you enough caves where if he pitches three, three games out of the week, he might be a nice guy to have. And if you don't like your starters' matchups or something like that, the last thing on closers, which I'll which, which 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 I'll say is one of the strategies I think that would be interesting is, especially in a fifteen team, is to get two closers and then get Wade Davis and only start him on the road. Yeah. Yeah, that's You know, and you're not always able to do that, you know. But like if he's four games on, on the road and three at home, or if it's just a homestand, like the first week is perfect. He's got three games against Texas on the road. That sounds great to me, you know. And yeah. yeah, Wade Davis isn't the greatest guy in the world, but he was actually good in April and May last year. Like he can he can still be good, right? He's not, we've seen guys come back from worse. He was injured last year. So that would be an example of like. You know, thinking maybe a little strategically about how you utilize these guys that are maybe a little bit more dangerous.
1: No, I'm with you. I think it's a, it's an interesting way to go about it. I see the appeal to go with the kind of relievers that aren't quite there yet because I've I've agreed with the um, three three batter minimum. I think it's going to have an impact more than people are leaning on. There's going to be guys that run into saves that way, but um, it's hard to go all in. I know um, a guy at Rotoballer. Uh, he does. Uh, he was on the show a while back, JB, he, um, does the Franken aces. He gets like one or two ace starting pitchers and then he, he combines like a Lugo and a Pomeranzi. you put them together. It's like another ace, like goes down that road with it. And it's very interesting. It's a, it's a, it works if you do it right. But if you start missing, you're in trouble. So it's a, it's an interesting way to go about it. Short season could be fun, but, uh, anything else on starting pitchers or relievers, we kind of hit on a bunch of names and strategies there.
0: Um, no, not really. Um, I think we've covered it pretty good, but I do think it's really important to know how you're going to attack that going into a draft. Um, yeah. Yeah. And we'll talk about the drafts. I mean, there's been some fascinating stuff that's going on.
1: Yeah. And speaking of the drafts, so I kind of mentioned earlier that DeGrom's been moving around, Trout's all over the board. There's a lot of either pitching early, relievers early. There's there's guys dropping like crazy. i seen JD Martinez in the third round, which shocked me. Uh, there's stuff all over the board. You've done how many main events already? Two. Two and a handful of OCs or yeah. What's that? Have you done any OCs? I've done uh, two OCs so far. Okay. So four total drafts in FPC wise. What's some of the stuff that stood out to you when you did it? Because it has been pretty wild. A lot of stuff been getting tweeted out there. What kind of stood out to you that was a little different than the norm?
0: Yeah. I mean, I think the, the major move is what we talked about earlier with the relief pitchers moving up so much and what that does to the draft and who it makes fall. Um, I also think at least, you know, if you're drafting in mains, you kind of expect it going in the starting pitching though. I think people are realizing that it gets a little uncomfortable quick. You know, um, in my draft yesterday, it was, it was a great room of people. I don't want to forget who was in there. So I'll check, uh, I'll check really, um, uh, quickly here, but it was, um, it was, I've never seen pitching go uh, this quickly. Um, it went, uh, super quickly. So, uh, Mike, uh, Mike Masato, um, uh, Pete, uh, Pete Christensen. So, um, draft uh, cheap. draft cheat, uh, Chris Fessler, who I think I want to say he won the overall a few years ago, uh, John Fish and Mike Kirkland, Curland, uh, Vlad Sedler was in there. Um, Clay Link was in there, Doug Roth was in there, who I think finished in the top 10 in the main last year. Uh Matthew Shepard, who I know plays a lot. So there's a lot of guys in there who are kind of experienced main event drafters. And Granky went, I think I want to say I should, I should get it up. I should just um bring it up. But I wanna say Granky was the last pitcher of that kind of um uh caliber to go. And he went. Here we go. Uh, Granke went at pick to uh, pick eleven. So uh, at pick forty one, Granke went, um, and he was the last guy up to Granke. Like that whole like you know Paddock and all of those guys who went at forty one, and then Luis Castillo was the guy. Or actually, Paddock went a little bit later than that. But everybody through Castillo had gone up to pick thirty four. So you had one, two, three, four, four teams that had two starting pitchers in the first three rounds. And, and three of those teams were in the first three or four picks. And so, or the first six picks. And so um, it was just fascinating and it moved up and it was kind of interesting because that moved up and relievers stayed about the same. So hitters were falling, hitters were falling. There were such good hitters available and you kind of anticipate when something like that happens that at some point in time in the draft, it recalibrates and people move, start going more hitters, but it never recalibrated. And so throughout the entire draft, min picks were just being destroyed on pitchers. I missed out on a few targets because I was looking at min picks and I was like, okay, well, I'm I, hopefully I'm going to get this guy next round. You know, he was gone. You know, and obviously it's always dicey to play like that, but you know, at a certain point, you have to kind of look at the market and try to figure out. And I think that was my mistake was not kind of recalibrating the market and thinking that it was going to adjust. So that was really fascinating, but it made it so hitters were. I got Marcelo Zuna at pick one in the eighth round, I think. I'm not good at like whatever that is, like okay. after pick up, 115, I think. I think I got him at or 116. I think I got Marcelo Zuna at pick 116. Gary Sanchez was available at 126. you know um, just these like kind of ludicrous values from my perspective where I I was getting the max pick on all my hitters because the min pick was going on all the, on all the pitchers. And so that was one draft experience. The other one was just kind of relievers went up. It seemed relatively reasonable the way that like kind of everybody was going in, in my first draft, but it was fascinating. And you have to make a decision in the draft. Do you do you recalibrate your strategy? Do you go after value? You know, because like my hitters, I love my hitters. I absolutely love my hitters from from yesterday's draft. When I look at my pitching, it starts out with Degrom and Strasburg, Hendricks and Colome, and then it's real dicey after that. Like my next pitcher, I think was, I can't remember, which probably isn't like a good thing. But um, uh, I, I could tell you if I just looked at my draft board here. Uh, it was Sandy Alcantara after I got Brandon Kinsler. And so, you know, it's not necessarily ideal, but if I feel pretty good about my ability to work the wire and generate value there, and I have kind of the strong foundation, that's where I was willing to be weak in order to, you know, have that, have that, have that hitting. And so I think that's the biggest thing is relief pitchers move up, other hitters move down, starting pitchers move up as well. So it's like, what gives? And I feel like in some drafts, it's catchers. All the catchers are falling a lot, except for maybe like Wilson Contreras and um, and JT Real Muto. Um, and then in other instances, it's just, you know, the random players. And I actually think that strategically, like one thing you can do is kind of be like, you know, between picks 100 and 140, there's some really nice hitter values going right there. So if you can set up your draft strategy to maybe try to take advantage of that or else be adaptable enough to take advantage of it. I think that's one maybe opportunity that exists.
1: Yeah, I'm with you. Uh, the pitching early, and then you can kind of play with that middle section of bats like you're talking about. And then the other thing I, I, I decided to make a conservative effort for is try to wait on shortstop because it's so deep. Take advantage of other positions. Like I like some of the big shortstops. I love Trey Turner. We talked about that. I know you got Trey in a draft earlier. Um, there's nothing wrong with the Lindors of the world, and you know, Baez is. We, we like all these guys, but I, I started. I kept telling myself, don't take these guys. Go get a Polanco or a Swanson or someone else later, and keep taking these other positions early on. I think that helped me as well. I even um, you mentioned guys dropping like this is probably a fluky deal. So this wasn't nfc so obviously um, you the the big money main event and everything. Guys are going differently. But, like I got Ria Muto in the fifth, and I, I was picking eighth. And then I got Moncada in the sixth, Victor Robles in the seventh, and then I got Mitch Garver in the ninth to go with Rio Muto. So that was an interesting chain of events for what took place for me. Uh, I don't think that'll ever happen to me again. That was uh,
0: just, it's too good to be true. I took that. That actually raises one thing is that some of the guys who are dropping are the COVID guys. Yes. They're some of the hitters that are dropping, even if they're back. So, anyways, sorry to interrupt, but I just wanted that you you made me when you were mentioning those guys. It it it, it um it brought up that that some of those guys like J T Realmuto was going around pick sixty before yep. he's back. He seems okay, but he's still going around pick ninety now. So yep.
1: that's very very true. And I even got your boy Will Myers later. So that that was that was a good one. Um, where have you been drafting so far? I know you usually like to be around that four five six area. Where have you been hanging out?
0: Um, I've been kind of all over the place, to be honest with you. Um, I, 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 you know, I love I love Cole. So if I can get if I, if I can get Cole, then I'm I'm excited. I'm happy. Um, I have the third pick in my draft on um, on Thursday night, but it's after Cole's already had his start. Oh, so I'm no. like I'm like <laughs> oh well. I hope he goes like seven innings, gives up four runs, maybe strikes out like six or seven you know, maybe it gets the W, but not, you know, he's not elite. So the guys in front of me don't, don't take him, you know, not, not that uh, they won't have their own opinions about it, but like, you know, so I'll, I may end up with Yelich or, or Acuna because I think, um, I think if, if, if those guys are available, I think you got to take them in the, in the top three. Um, but if I don't get, if I don't get Cole or DeGrom, you know, then I want to be towards the back end to, to double tap, tap the aces probably. Like if a guy falls like a Jose Ramirez or a Trey Turner or something like that, you know, and I'm at like pick 10 or pick 11 or something like that, then I definitely have to consider taking those guys just because I think their profiles are relatively unique for the positions they have. But, um, you know, I like the double tap there and pitching is going so early that around pick three, like who knows who's going to be there. I mean, chances are that everybody through Strasburg is kind of gone. So then you're looking at Giolito or, Darvish or Granky uh, or Castillo or somebody like that, you know, at pick 28, you know, whatever that is. So it all depends on how the draft draft falls, but I like to be kind of towards that, that back middle. Um, and it also helps with, with the runs, yep. you know, um, and, uh, and making sure that you are able to not necessarily adapt, but just be aware of them. Um, and, um, and respond if necessary. Yeah, you're not watching
1: the runs from afar. You can you can at least make a decision while it's going on to to, to be in or be out. But uh, I, I found that that eighth spot, that seven eight range, I'm really happy with that
0: spot right there. You can do. A, I like that spot a lot. I have a draft tomorrow where I'm in that spot. I mean, that spot a draft tonight where I'm in that spot too.
1: All kinds of different strategies from right there. So we'll see how that goes. Got a few more drafts to go. Uh, you got how many more drafts do you have to go?
0: I uh, have one tonight, which is like a home league that starts in 15 minutes, and I will be drafting live with all of you. Uh, but it's a little bit of a weird one. It's a home league. It's I think it's going to be 11 teams this year because one team dropped out. Uh, we normally it's a keeper league, you know, where we have like contracts and stuff like that. But we're just doing redraft for this year, and um, and we went and moved to quality starts instead of wins, and then we moved to um, OBP instead of average. So it's kind of a different thing. And then I have um, a twelve-team high-stakes league on Tuesday, tomorrow, and then two mains on Wednesday and Thursday, just one, one each. So, nice
1: busy, busy man right there. I know eight,
0: eight drafts, I think, in seven days, something like that. So it's fun. I'm not going to lie, I enjoy it. Um, shout out to my wife, who's uh, amazing and yeah. letting me do this. So nice. appreciate that.
1: Well, we'll talk more about the the rest of those next week. That'll be a lot of fun. But let's get to Fab. Fab is fun, and Fab was wild last night, uh, as you'd expect. You know, a thousand dollars still short in season uh, with TGFBI drafted so early. There's a lot of guys that got either hurt or they're opted out, and you got to replace them. Guys that didn't get drafted that now have jobs, so on and so forth. Chaos, chaos ensued. Before we go over kind of the top uh, overall picks and everything, did you wind up with anybody last night?
0: Uh, you know, so I had um, I didn't have a ton of Fab. Uh, teams. Uh, my major one was TGFBI. I did a little bit of a redo because I had um, I had Tyler Beatty who's obviously injured. Uh, Eric Lauer, who's injured as well. We know that Kinsler's got the closing job, so Brad Boxberger isn't necessarily needed. So I got Kyle Crick for sixty-six bucks with a backup of fifty-five. So I felt pretty good about that until I read up about his start and how he how his velo's down. And he just hasn't really looked that good this spring. And obviously with Nick Birdie pitching great, you know, that was a little bit um, sad. Um, I got Alec Mills, who is the fourth or fifth starter for the Cubs and is going to have two starts next week. Um, one of them at uh, will be at Cincinnati, which is tough, but then he'll be at home against Pittsburgh, I think. So that's a really nice option right there um, for a 15 team league at least. And then I got Adam Frazier for $3 and DJ Stewart for $1. Um, and Adam Frazier bid was, you know, he's batting third in that lineup. He's playing second base. So little middle infield second base backup. He's going up against three righties to start off this week. You know, obviously Flaherty is an ideal, but then you got Wainwright, I think going and Dakota Hudson. So not terrible matchups. Um, and then I just think he's playing every day and in there. So he'll be a nice little guy to have on my bench at all times is like a backup. And then the DJ Stewart, he's going up against the, the Red Sox, um, twice in the, in the first two weeks. And so I kind of have him as a guy that I like a little bit as a late sleeper, a little bit of pop, decent hitter who has some, some really nice matchups to start, um, the season. So that's kind of where I went. How about you? What did you, what did you do in, um, TGFBI?
1: Yeah, see, I um I tweeted about it too before the results came in. I put in like thirty three different bids because I want to make sure I got somebody to like take care of some guys that I need to get off the roster. That's the way to do it. Yeah, it turns out I ended up with most of my high bids, which um so I I used a lot of my budget, but hey, yeah they the returns were good. I enjoyed who I got. Some of them are a little disappointing because like I got rid of Jorge Mateo, but I got Aaron Hicks for uh, I I got him for two sixty six. Second runner up was two hundred one, so I'm fine with that. Nice, like I went. I wanted to get Jay Bruce, you know, hitting in the middle of that Phillies lineup DH. You know, I thought there was a lot to like there with Bruce. Dropped Shaw. Um, I, I paid 122 and there was no runner up bid, so that sucked.
0: For Jay play. Bruce? Yeah. No so runner up bid, huh?
1: No. That's what I, I couldn't understand. He was
0: drafted in our draft, I think.
1: And what I couldn't understand was not just my league, but just looking at other people's stuff. I we always laugh about how differing prices are. I get that. But how many like no bids? Like people are saying half the leagues weren't even bidding on guys weren't even bidding on stuff. I wonder if people were just asleep at the wheel or what took place. Because the reason I bid so high on certain guys is I figured there'd be more competition for this, and it wasn't. So I got Tyler Rogers, dropped Tyler Beatty 89, runner up 51. I picked up Monty Harrison, dropped Todd Frazier, because Monty's not starting with the roster, but he'll be up real quick. He's crushing it right now. It's all service time garbage. So I got him cheap now before that hike happens. I picked up Brad Keller for cheap. Got rid of Drew Smiley. Keller's got some awesome matchups next week as a two starter, um, and I kind of liked what he did velocity wise and pitch mix wise towards the end. Still dicey with the Royals and Brad Keller, but kind of like you mentioned, is, with Alec Mills is,
0: is he back after COVID?
1: Uh, yes, that, like, yes, he's scheduled okay. the two step next week, so okay. that's where I was going with that. Unless I totally screwed that up, but everything I read before I bid, he is back. Um, and then I got Nick Birdie for twenty six, runner up eleven, uh, so I was happy with that. But like, I think, I think I saw Yancey, and he's in the chat right now. I think I saw Yancey got, like, birdie for, like, a buck or Tyler Rogers for a buck or something with no runner-up. It, it, it was wild what took place out there. But let's talk wild. So I'm looking at the, uh, the page of all the people that were picked up in TGFBI. I'm pretty sure it's just TGFBI, 45 leagues. Um, Zach Britton was the main guy. He picked up in every single league because he was not drafted at all. Max bid of 463. Men bid of 100, which is pretty wild. Where did you stand on Zach Britton? Because I like had maybe, I think I bid like 90 bucks on him. I wasn't like going over the top because I think Chapman's coming back sooner than later.
0: Yeah, I think he was, I think he was, was he picked up in my fab? I think he was, I think he was already owned. Yeah, he was already owned in mine. So there wasn't really an opportunity to um, go after him. Um, So I didn't go after him. I mean, uh, I'm not a huge fan of Britain just because the K's aren't necessarily there, um, but getting that opportunity I think is key. It just depends on when Chapman gets back.
1: Like I was, I'd rather have like Tyler Rogers or Nick Birdie or someone that I think might hang around a little longer. So yeah, um, and I
0: love, I love Birdie.
1: The high bit of 463 I, I'm actually for my league a little, little bit.
0: bit. What, what's that?
1: I said the the high bit I just noticed was from my league at 463. The runner up was 80. That stinks. for, for Birdie. <laughs> No, for Britain. Oh, Four sixty-three no. with the with the runner up at 80. That stings.
0: That's rough. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, one, one thing I think about the the fab is, you know, there's a real I think there's a real opportunity there for people who use it fairly judiciously because I think people are going to get impatient. And I think there's going to be a real opportunity throughout the season to take advantage of people who become impatient. Because what's going to happen is you start off and you have you have a half bad week. And you have another bad week, and all of a sudden you're panicking. I've only got eight or nine weeks to make this up. I've only got eight weeks to make this up, and then people start start getting rid of guys who maybe you know are good players. Maybe their skills are showing. They're still the same guys, but the performance hasn't been there. And I start. I think people will start to make some rash decisions to try to stay competitive. And I think there's going to be a real opportunity for people who hold on to their Fab a little bit. Um, and, and can really do that. And I also think as the season gets later, things are going to get even screwier, right? Like the closer we get, as teams get out of contention, there's less to play for. I think I think having that fab towards the end of the season when, th- when rosters are really in flux is going to be a really important thing. So yeah. that's that's my one broader theme, I guess I'd say.
1: That's kind of why I was kind of bummed that I got so many guys. Like I needed to to, to get rid of what I had. That was part of what I was doing, but – To spend as much as I spent, I was like, oh no, but the way I look at it, the way I look at it is I filled the needs so I shouldn't have to overspend anytime soon unless Mm -hmm. something crazy happens. So
0: I think it's always a balance too, right? It's like, you know, um, yeah. Like how how valuable is this player to you? Like part of me is like Rich Hill, I think he went for what'd he go for?
1: Right here, he went for as high as you're as high as 726, as low as 166.
0: He went for 340 in my league. I think my bid was like 180 something. And so it's just like, you know, part of me, I need pitching. I'm short on pitching. But the question is, you just got to weigh like how how important is that compared to maybe the flexibility or what's the risk that's involved in in putting that much into Rich Hill? You know? Like, is he gonna get to five innings in his first outing? Is he going to get to five innings regularly with a Minnesota bullpen that's pretty strong? Um, You know, just think questions like that, I think. And they've got like Smeltzer and other guys who can kind of be those long relief types.
1: Yeah, like guys like Isaiah Kenner Falefa, he went for as high as 501 for as low as $1. And there's a lot of buzz there. Uh, Aaron Hicks, that's a guy I got and I really wanted to get. He went as high as 650, as low as 38. I got him for 266. But uh, that's a guy. If he was healthy before draft season, he's a he's on every roster. So I, I kind of had no problem there. Uh, Nick Birdie went as high as one thirty-five, as low as a buck. Kyle Crick as high as three eleven. Uh, those were the the main guys that that went crazy. Uh, looking at the sheet, like Eric Thames, another you know guys gambled on Ottavino. Um, there's Jay Bruce and and some others. Francie Cordero went as high as two sixty-one. He was a popular, but as again as low as one dollar. Uh, Spencer Howard went for a lot. Kyle Lewis went for a ton. Um, Griffin Canning, Kyle Wright, and some others. Who stood out to you as um, guys that you, you can kind of understand being super aggressive on than other guys that uh, – I, I just love seeing like Corbin Burns went as his highest 355 as low as a dollar. Like the, the range in leagues is insane. Um, what stood out to you besides like the Britons and hills of the world?
0: Yeah, um, so I think – I think Hicks is like, seems like the one kind of game changing hitter. Um, I think some of the guys, the other guys that you mentioned, like Thames, you know, he's definitely interesting and a guy I wouldn't mind having on my team. But I think the challenge with the platoon guys is that when every plate appearance matters, does two out of three cut it, you know, does three out of four cut it, you know, and obviously you're going to miss some games just because guys aren't in lineups. But like, I feel like those, those are harder. Those are harder to, to, to really go after. So those are two of the hitters that kind of stand out to me. I think Kyle Lewis has shown like a lot of really good stuff and I apologize in advance if there's noise behind me, my kids are getting ready to go to sleep which is always a fun experience. And when you're live in prime time and it's a kid's, you know, it's a kid's program, we're not rated TV PG for nothing. You know that's we're all about this. It's a family um, show, and so uh, so Jay Bruce, Bruce, I think is super interesting um, to me, uh, just because yeah, I mean we saw what he could do early on in the season. He's in a good lineup, you know, not the greatest pitching in the in the East, I don't think. So I think there's a lot of guys who um, you know who are pretty good in terms of pitchers. Obviously, Rich Hill. I think any of the guys who had access potentially to saves, but I don't like spending a a ton on those guys, you know? So I think those smaller bid amounts, you know, like I'm kicking myself because I did a, a $66 bid for Crick and I got him. And then, um, Birdie went for, what did Zach Birdie go for? Uh, where is he? Oh, Nick birdie, not Zach birdie. He went for one fifteen, So I wasn't going to get him anyways, but I can see where for me, birdie is more of a long-term play where, you know, the skill upside is such that maybe he stays on your team as that guy you plug in, you know, when you don't have the, the, the starters that you necessarily love. But for me, the gold, the gold of fab is in those low bids, you know? So like the guys who got, um, uh, you know, the, the, ones where they're in there, they're in like maybe the 30 to 40 range, you know, maybe this year, 60 to 80, where you get like a really good guy, really meaningful guy. And you, but you've spent less than you, um, than like your weekly fab allotment so that you're not necessarily hampering your ability to maneuver later on. There are always guys who come on who are game changers. You know, Hicks is a pretty good example in a 15 team league, right? Where if he gets to the levels where we know he's going to be or where he's been in the past, like he can be a real game changer for a team in a 15 team league. Those guys don't happen all the time, but there's a lot of the smaller ones that you do, you know, and I don't want to toot my own horn at all, but like, you know, um, I'll just look at my league for instance, you know, you have like, um, I got uh, Alec Mills for 11 bucks. Right. So I get a two start starter for next week. For eleven dollars, right, which isn't a lot, um, you know, and so that's a possibility. Maybe I don't end up going with him, but there's the possibility. Sammy Reed picks up Elisa Hernandez for one dollar, you know, like fifth starter on Miami, but they've got the Orioles in their in the, his first start next week. He's got the nice little start, the little nice little slider, you know, um, a pickup like that. Uh, those are the types of things. Drew Pomerantz for fifteen dollars. You know, um, you know, Ottavino for twenty-four compared to Britain for like two hundred. You know, like those are the ones that I think are the the ones that win you leagues if they work out and they don't hurt you if they're off. Because generally speaking, they're not going to work for more than a week, and so investing like heavily just for that one or two weeks is not enough. I'm yeah, sorry,
1: No problem. But, like, looking at my league, and it just happened to be because I got Birdie, but Kyle Crick went for 190. Birdie went for 26. Like, just those differences there, those are fun. Uh, If you just look at the overall moves page on NFBC, like, Tony Watson went for, like, over 200 bucks on as a max bid, where Rodgers' max bid was 90. So you're getting, like, a very similar result possibly at the end of the season for a lot cheaper, uh, different ways to attack. And that's kind of how I did my bidding and um, tried to, to play those games. But you never know. Like, every league was so different. It was wild looking at everything. And next week, it'll be a lot more fine-tuned because there are so many options out there. Next week, when we do the the fab, it'll be a little more cut and dry on who was getting picked up and, and who wasn't. But uh, it'll, be, it'll be interesting to see because there's a lot of guys with cash and a lot of guys that spent... I, I think I saw one guy spent, um, I think, over 80% of his budget already. Like, I think the guy that got... Like over 90%, because whoever got um, Rich Hill for seven twenty six, dollars 26 uh, that's three quarters of your budget right out the gate, pretty much. So uh, that's, uh, that's going to make things real interesting towards the end, at, uh, to say the least. But uh, let's, uh, let's do some listener questions and then we'll get on out of here. Um, we've got a handful of them for tonight. I will start with. Nope, that's not it. These are. Uh, things to remind me uh, draft cheat. He asks Mr. Pete Christensen himself. What do you think is the proper reaction as a drafter to closers being pushed up 20 to 30 picks? We kind of hit on that, but do you want to re-elaborate real quick.
0: Uh, sure thing. And my draft just started over here. So I apologize if I'm looking over here a little bit, I just drafted Jacob deGrom in a quality starts league at number eight overall. So I'm pretty happy about that. I'm hoping that either either Scherzer or Verlander, um, gets back to me, uh, with the other pick. Um, but I guess we will, uh, we will see what happens there. Um, so with, with the relief pitchers, I mean, I think I tackled it, but I I think you, I think the value is so, uh, it's not necessarily even the value. I think just from a team construction standpoint and partially from a value standpoint, they're getting pushed so up so much that, um, that I don't think it's worth it. And I think it's an opportunity to take advantage by getting better hitters in those, you know, in rounds, you know, four through eight, four through nine, four through 10, depending on how big your draft is. So I really think that's, that's my way to respond to it. I you, you obviously still need to tackle saves. I actually like what, um, uh, what, um, what, uh, Pete did, um, uh, I'll call, just call him draft cheat Cause I'm not sure whether he goes by Peter, Peter, but, um, what draft cheat cheat did and he shared his board. So I feel okay. Saying this is he got Melanson in I think round 10, the same round I got Colomay. I think that's, that's the type of guy I want to start off with where he pretty clearly has, um, has the job. um, And, and, and he's on a good team. So he should get some saves. You just hope that he's able to keep it together. Yeah. So that, that, I think it's a huge, I think it's a huge opportunity to take advantage, to be honest.
1: Yeah. It's kind of like we said, don't, don't push them up too high don't take those kind of guys but make sure you you don't complete i wouldn't completely punt the position let's put it that way don't completely blow it all uh mr sp streamer himself michael Simeone, asked any big surprise for either of you when it came to actual drafts for instance starting pitchers went a lot earlier than you thought uh, we kind of hit on this before anything besides like the pitching we talked about
0: um uh, sorry, what was the question? I'm up. I'm up again. Um,
1: he asked, "Any big surprises for either of you when it came to actual drafts? For instance, starting pitchers went a lot earlier than you thought. We kind of hit on that earlier about uh, pitching moving up and uh, letting allowed hitters to fall. Anything else that kind of stood out to you?
0: Um, no, I mean I think there's the there's the starting pitchers um, moving. Uh, uh, the starting pitchers are moving up at least in NFBC leagues. Again, like it's going to be very different league to league. The relief pitchers are also moving up a lot." And I think that there's just a lot of, um, there there's, if you want a guy, get a guy, you know, like there's, there's a lot of, once you get beyond a certain point in the pitching guys are getting their guys. And so you're seeing a lot of variance in terms of the, and a broad range in terms of where guys are being picked. And so I think that that is, um, uh, I think that's big, um, you know, because, it's kind of like in my draft the other day or yesterday. There's a there's a guy I really like. I like Spencer Turnbull a lot, and I got Austin Voth, who I also love. And then I wanted to get a little tricky, and I went Kyle Crick after Voth because I of the min, the min pick, you know, for Turnbull being so much higher, and he went uh, right after that. All right, guys, I'm getting, I'm, I've got myself a, a Degrom Verlander start. Oh my. A Degrom Verlander start, ladies and gentlemen, to start it. I'm feeling good, feeling good, Um, good. And I and I pick 11th out of 50, uh, or I pick eight out of 11. So I don't have. I I should be able to focus now and concentrate. wholly, you know, um, for the next little bit. So I think those are the those are the major changes that I would say. People are sharp, you know. People know who those who who your sleepers are, you know. And so get those guys if you want them. Get them early.
1: Yeah, that's the biggest thing is go get your guys. That's something I I have no problem doing anymore. Just go get them. Don't worry about it. I had someone try telling me that you Darvish in the middle of round four was a foolish pick. He's too soon. I'm like, you guys are crazy. Like, just go get your guys. Because I I explained to him, okay, if I don't take him there, I still don't think it's crazy there. If I don't take him there, I have to wait 15 picks. Do you think you Darvish makes it back to me in round five? Probably not. So go go get your guys. Very simple. Um, Eric Samolsky asks, what's your starting pitcher cutoff before you start turning – to multi-inning relief pitchers like Pettit, Pavetta, Molle, etc. I'm really not going to be doing too much of that unless I'm strictly going into the draft with that philosophy. Otherwise, I'm out. What about you?
0: Yeah, I agree. Generally speaking, I think maybe this first week it's a little different. If there are very clear piggyback opportunities where guys are going to have access to wins, like let's say Wade Miley goes four and then or three, and then Tyler Molle comes in every single – Week and that's, that's a consistent thing, then those are the types of guys that I would be more interested in, you know, again, depending on the league, if it's a daily league or depending on what, what your settings are, guys can have more value in that role. Like if it's K per nine or something like that. But, um, generally speaking, I'm only interested in the guys who maybe, um, have a pretty clear, uh, um, access to a, to a win or, are part of that type of a structure. I think those are the type of guys that I'm more interested
1: in. All right. Eric Samolsky has another question. Starting pitcher will always be inherently riskier than hitters. So taking more starting pitchers earlier for safety defeats the purpose when we should be getting the safe bats early plus an ace and then loading up on upside arms in the mid rounds. So his idea is get the upside pitchers kind of the opposite of what we, we talked about, getting the, the the aces early and then Going back, do you think his philosophy could work? I think any philosophy could work, but would you be good with that?
0: Um, God, I'm <laughs> terrible, Baba. Say it one more time. I Say it one more deleted, time. I'm, I'm in draft mode. I just deleted it, but it's basically um,
1: would you be good getting one ace early and then getting the really strong, safe bats and then going upside arms instead of getting the safe pitching early and going upside bats?
0: Oh, yeah. I remember this question. I like this question. Um, well, I think the idea of safety is interesting, right? It's all relative. You need pitchers and you need hitters. And, and, and yes, hitters are, are quote unquote safer, right? Like the injury level is not as high as pitchers are, but at some point in time, you need to grab pitchers, right? And I think the difference is that pitchers as aces relative to the rest of the population of pitchers are a lot more consistent and a lot better than the top hitters relative to the hitters that are right behind them. And so that's why I think the two is important is because the one is fine. Like you can win a league, you can be fine with one, but it's all about managing like relative safety or, or risk. I mean, it's the same kind of idea. There's risk with everything. It's a continuum. It's all relative within the different populations of players you're going after. My preference is to limit risk limit risk as much as you can do that within the starting pitchers by getting too early on. But I think it's fine to do that. Like I could see a situation where I get one starting pitcher. Oh, I'm up. I'm drafting. I have 25 seconds left here. Guys. Should I go triple starting pitchers to start off with? Yes. Let's do it. Let's do it. Let me just make sure I'm not missing anybody. Should I go Kershaw over Clevenger? Ooh, I go Clevenger. In a, in a, if it's quality start, go Kershaw. That's quality starts. I'm going to go Kershaw.
1: Yeah.
0: All right. Sorry about that, guys. This is no fun. I just started my draft. I just started my draft. I just started my draft. Um, DeGrom, Verlander, Kershaw. Light it up, baby. So Light hot. it up. So it's hot. an 11 team team. It's an 11 team league. So I feel okay about my ability still to make up hitting. I'm not going to get a pitcher probably for the next 15 rounds would be my guess. I'm just going to, I'm just going to go after it. Um, Yeah. So that's, that's kind of, I think how I would, if I remember that question correctly, that's kind of how I would take it, but I can see myself going like uh, Cole or DeGrom and then waiting. And, but then I'm double tapping like, you know, Lynn and Carrasco or something like that, where it's, you know, safety and numbers. But then the question becomes from a draft capital perspective, would I rather have, you know, um, whatever that second round hitter was or, and a better, uh, or, or, and those two pitchers or two hitters and that ace pitcher? And that's the argument I'm making is I like that ace better. I like yeah. the ace in that scenario and with the two hitters in those, those spots.
1: Yeah, I like the idea of uh, I like the idea of going with the get your couple one or two pitchers early, but make sure you come back if you're going to take a break from them. Get like that Lynn area, get a couple there. I, I like that idea a lot. Instead of waiting until super late, and then you're stuck kind of really piecing it together, that can get ugly. Uh, we got two more listener questions here. Ben Tid breaking Ben underscore T asks, why do you think people always rank closers throughout slots 100 through 200, yet they always get pulled up much earlier in actual drafts? So like a lot of these guys, like we just talked about, they're going up higher, but when you look at rankings, they're much lower. I think it's just more the market value.
0: Yeah. I mean, I think it's it's market value, and I think the market is driven by fear. Yeah. You know, people are people are worried that they are um people are worried that they're not, they're that they're gonna they're gonna lose out on, you know, saves in a shortened season. You know, that's why they're moving up even more than they usually do, because I think that's what's driving the decision making in this particular instance versus what should actually be driving, you know, the decision making. So I guess that's what I would say. And guys, this is an OBP league. So, yeah, so I think it's being driven by fear and and it's not it's not a bad reason. Right. Um, I don't think that that is, an, is inherently uh, a bad idea here. Guys, I think I'm going to go maybe with Josh Donaldson. I'm trying to look at the board and figure it out. Let's see if Springer is available. Sorry. George Springer is available. Okay. I think I'm going to go with George Springer here if he is available. My pick is the next one. So yeah. So I think it's being driven by fear. And the question is, do you, and that's a, it's a, it's a legitimate fear. And so the question is, do you do you um, go along with that because it's legitimate or do you feel comfortable enough accepting more quote unquote risk by getting the guys who are behind it? You know? So I think that's the consideration that you need to make. And I, and I, and that's why I think is being, is driving it. All no, right.
1: No doubt about it. Uh, Dave Petroziello with the last question of the night. He says um, he has one more draft to go. So he wants to talk about the Cardinals and pirates closer situation. Um, we kind of talked about pirates with no Kella, it's crick. It's birdie. I think.
0: Are we in grants that we kind of rather own birdie than crick? Um. Yeah, I, I like birdie more at this point. You know, and it's it's really instructive actually because you make your fab bids. I bid sixty six bucks for crick, and I bet bet, bet uh, thirty seven or something like that for birdie. And and when I got my the results back, I was disappointed that I got crick and not birdie. And so it's just one of those things, you know, that happens and you learn a bit. But I, I like Birdie more just because I think he's got he's got a lot more utility, um, you know, than some of the other guys. When, I, we're I, talk, when
1: we're talking Cardinals now, you got Giovanni Gallegos. And there's later, the latest report said he might be ready for opening day, even though I haven't even seen him in camp yet. So that'll be interesting. Um, he's just stuck in Mexico. And they're waiting for him to come over. So you got Gallegos. You mentioned Andrew Miller. Ryan Helsley was a very popular Fab acquisition. Uh, Carmart's going to be in the rotation for now, so he should be out of the way. I'm just staying away from this mess. Uh, I think Gallegos uh, eventually gets it back, but I'm just staying away. What do you think on St. Louis?
0: Yeah, I, I agree. I'm generally staying away. Um, what I would say is. Um, is I think Helsley was actually, like I have him in a couple leagues that drafted even before the news about Gallegos. Um, There were some rumblings among beat writers and then some other folks about Helsley getting an opportunity. And so I took a stab at him kind of late, I think. Um, And so I actually think that he's probably the one that I would want to own out of all of them, um, factoring in both cost and everything like that. Gallegos was really good last year, but remember he's only had one really good year. And I want to say he wasn't as good you know, down the stretch maybe as he was. And that's just the fickleness of relievers. So he's clearly good, but again, like there's just so much, um, uh, unknown, uh, when it comes to that. So, um, so yeah. So that is, uh, yeah, yeah. That's what I would say on that one. I think Carmart is going to go to the rotation. I've never been interested in him, um, at all. So yeah, I think staying away, like you said, but, you know, Helsley, if I'm, if I'm going to get a guy, it would probably be the one that I'd want. Or better yet, Andrew Miller at pick 415, you know? Yep.
1: And then the last thing I'm going to leave us with is um, I'm watching the A's-Giants uh, exhibition game and Tyler Anderson's pitching okay. Steven Piscotty just popped one up to left that left the ballpark, so I'm pretty sure we're seeing the bouncy ball in full effect.
0: I've yeah. seen some of the home runs that have been hit, and I've been like, that ball is flying.
1: Yeah, that should have been that should have even made the warning track. And even the outfielder thought he had it and he's just walking back. And the next thing he's he runs into the wall and it's like three rows deep. Like that should, yeah. So just keep that in mind, folks. Get your aces. So sure. <laughs> um, any final thoughts, Toby, as we wrap up uh 44th edition of Bubba in the Batflip?
0: No, I'm just really hoping Josh Donaldson falls to me here uh, at pick 52 um, <laughs> in my draft because I have him as the 27th best player um, according to this. So let's hope that's the case. No, but in all seriousness, I apologize for being distracted here towards the end. Bubba, as always, you are incredibly patient with me and I really appreciate that about you. (laughs) You're going to be a great father for that exact reason. (laughs) Um, and, uh, no, I just think like good luck with all of your, the remaining drafts that you have to do. I do think that thinking about starting pitchers and relief pitchers and how you're going to tackle those are going to be two really big, things in the draft, because when the draft happens, you're going to be really, it's going to be really hard to lay off those relievers, right? When you see them going off the board and you're like, oh, am I really comfortable with column and Mount Melanson as my guys? Am I really comfortable there? You know, similarly, like know what you're going to do with starting pitching, because if it moves up, are you going to adjust? If it stays as it is, who are you going to get? If it moves up, you know, are you going to take advantage of that? If it doesn't, Are you going to try to attack hitting really thinking strategically about that? I think it'll be critical and we're going to have baseball on Thursday, baby. It's awesome. It's going to be absolutely fantastic. It's going to be a nice release and just something to look forward to after just all of the difficult things that everybody is being through. And so thanks for listening and tuning into us always. Like you guys are incredible. We're super thankful. Like we would have never gotten to prime time, you know, without you guys. I mean, the 6 p.m., uh pacific 9 p.m eastern time slot i mean that takes talent
1: yeah what's what's better than a nice dinner and bubba and the bat flip like what, yeah. what's better it just
0: hey guys i just got josh donaldson
1: there we go see everything's working everything's coming up roses I'm gonna but, try uh, yeah, Hopkins. there you go but yeah thanks for listening everybody it's been fun we got like you said real baseball we got nats yankees followed by giants dodgers on thursday that's going to be awesome 11 games on friday We'll be back with you guys next
0: Monday talking fast. That is going to wrap us up for episode 140 of the Batfoot Crazy Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. Uh, By the time we probably have our next podcast, we will have baseball to actually look at some player analysis. This is the part of the season that I really, really love. Once we have the games actually going and we can kind of dig into the data and and take a look at that. So hopefully you'll continue to listen and we can be helpful in in leading you to fantasy success this year. All right, Uh, best of luck with all of your remaining fantasy drafts. Take care and be kind to one another.